This episode is brought to you by the Muslim Voices Project at Indiana University. The Muslim Voices Project provides a platform for amplifying diverse local, regional, and global Muslim voices and works to critically dismantle Islamophobic discourse and representation. Find them online at muslimvoices.indiana.edu and on Twitter at Muslim Voices. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كافها يا The thing is that the more you experience that feeling of there's something bigger than me, the more you trust that it's real. and that things are the way they are supposed to be. You don't have to struggle to make it different. You can just ease into reality. If I'm still breathing, I'm still alive, this in itself, it's a, it's a blessing. So if we are now talking to each other, this is a blessing, Sarah. <laughs> Hi everyone, we are back in the studio. It's crazy to be back. We are slowly returning back to recording our episodes in person, which is great because now I can share the same physical space with my guests and colleagues. And today I'm here with Sarah. She is one of our writers. Hello, everyone. So Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Sarah, and I am the content and media editor for Immigrantly. I've been here for quite some time now. Almost two years, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Time flies. So what is today's episode about Sarah? Yeah, so we partnered with Indiana University's Muslim Voices Project, and we decided to get together and make an episode about the relationship between Islam and mental health. And we did that because, in my opinion, spirituality is really just about knowing how to stay in a good state of mind throughout the entirety of just, you know, existing as a human. So I feel like it makes complete sense for us to explore how religion can be a part of that, because I feel like on this show, we've done a lot of talking about religion as an institution and from a historical place. But I feel like it's time to really delve into how it affects people. And also the concept of spirituality, right? Mm -hmm. It applies to everyone. everyone. People who follow organized religion versus people who don't follow religion at all. At least, if not spirituality, then mindfulness, right? Yeah, definitely. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about our guests. Yes. So our guests are Heather Aku, who is a professor at Indiana University, and Hanan Moad, who is a friend of IU Muslim Voices, and they are both practicing Muslims. Um, Heather is from Wisconsin, and she actually converted after meeting her now ex-husband and um, after starting a family with him. 
her relationship to Islam really strengthened and she really became a fully practicing Muslim when she had her miscarriage at a relatively early age. And that really set her into a place where she needed that sort of guidance. When you lose a pregnancy, people are kind of like, well, you can try again, which is true. And I did have another child after that, but it doesn't erase the grief and all the difficulty that you go through. So uh, that is the time period in which I converted. <laughs> um, it was a really, really incredibly difficult time. And um, I ended up taking a medical leave from my job, which was extremely stressful. I mean, being a professor, like I took this leave in the middle of the semester. I literally just stopped teaching my classes and someone else took over. And I thought, this is the end of my career. I don't know how anybody comes back from this. I just, I felt incredibly broken. So, I mean, I was in counseling, but even that was like, I mean, this is something that I, my mind was just churning every day, every hour. It just, that was the worst part about it is that I just felt like there's no escape from this. What do I do with this? I mean, I couldn't just forget it and move on, but I didn't know how to work through all those incredibly strong feelings I was having. I had started going to a group of um, study circles. So there's this word in uh, Islam called halakha, which is like, it's kind of like a Bible study group. <laughs> um, and the group of people that I connected with, most of them were um, graduate students, and um, I was really getting a lot out of them. But then when I had this loss, again, you know, I was really like, okay, these are great, but what, you know, what more can I do? And that's when I really made an effort to like actually learn the words for performing the ritual prayer, Salah. Mm. <laughs> um, and I started doing them, you know, five times a day, like really doing it. And it was helpful because for one thing, they occur at times of day when biologically we know that people struggle with transitions. So there, the first prayer is at daybreak, and then there's one at around noon, kind of like midday, lunchtime. There's one in the late afternoon, there's one at sunset, and then there is one when like truly dark night is setting in. And so what I found for my mental health was that it became something to look forward to. Like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you just get away from what you're doing. You're performing, you know, you're saying these words and they're really, you know, it's a very compassionate prayer. I, you know, people who aren't Muslim probably don't really know what the prayer is about and have some assumptions, but basically you're saying, you're, you're pleading to God and it opens with the line saying, you know, praise be to God, the most merciful, the most compassionate. And you're just, you know, asking to be guided mm. and, you know, for like things to get better. And, um, and so, I, because of these study circles, I knew what that prayer was about and it became very meaningful to me, but not because I didn't feel like I was being guided, but because I just felt really like lost and broken and I don't know what to do next. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. 
So when I had that loss, I felt like I'm, I had this immediate feeling of, okay, this is really horrible. And there's, you know, no two words about that. Like, it's a horrible thing. There's nothing good here. But this child was created just like my other child. And I guess there's some reason for it. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to find some way to get through this and learn from it. So, Sadia, I remember when you first heard this section of Heather's conversation and you were really taken aback. What were some of the new perspectives that you feel like you got about Islam? So to begin with, what really stood to me was the sheer dichotomy between the burden of judgment that I carry as a Muslim woman of color who was basically born into the religion, right? Mm. Versus the ease with which Heather deconstructs her relationship with it as a white woman and a convert who seems to have investigated and fully embraced it, at Mm. least from the conversation it appeared as if she knows about Islam a lot more than I do. (laughs) I was doing some research with Somalis in Minnesota who are almost all Muslims. And um, I learned about this kind of jewelry that Somalis wore in the like 19th and early 20th century. And I bought a piece of it. And a lot of these um, necklaces include a little case that's called a hersi. And it's meant to hold a verse from the Quran. And I thought, wow, okay, I, you know, I bought this one for research, but it's a really amazing necklace and I can put a verse in here. And I really, like I spent, you know, hours and hours thinking about what verse did I want to put in that necklace. And so the verse that I chose has two really important components to it. So one is um, the verse says, that there is no compulsion in the acceptance and practice of religion. Like you can't force someone else to be Muslim and like, don't even try. Like it's not a, if you convert, it's a personal choice. If you, you know, whatever you do, it's your personal choice between you and God and nobody else. So I really appreciated that aspect of it. But I also came to really appreciate the rest of the verse, which basically says Those who believe and do good things have grasped a firm handhold, one that will never give or break. Mm, Wow, love that. (laughs) (laughs) And so it became, I mean, (laughs) that was like, that was what I hung on to. Something that really struck me was how she approaches prayers. So Salah as a formal prayer has a very particular style. So there are certain words that you say and there are positions that you take. It's a it's a moving prayer, which I think is really interesting that engages the physical body. I really love that dimension mm. of it. Um, and meditation does a little bit too, because you know, you're sitting in a certain posture, you're really like, you know, aligning yourself with the spiritual force of the universe. And um <laughs> But the idea is that, you know, you're just focus, like focusing on your breathing and you're just trying to let, like thoughts come in and you acknowledge that you have the thought, but you just let it go. You try not to consciously think about it. So Salah is more 
it's a little bit more formalized, but it definitely has some of that element of like, it, I mean, it was like the one escape that I found. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm going through this thing. It's the same every time. Billions of people around the world do the same thing. And it just, it was like the one time that I felt like I was really like getting a break from life. So for me, ritualistically, I approach <laughs> prayers and even other aspects of my religion as, say, obligations to fulfill with a very limited understanding of the context behind them, right? While for Heather as a convert, I felt as if it is imbibing and wholly accepting rituals as part of a more holistic approach, right? This prayer that involves motions of the body, I mean, I find it really valuable and engaging on a personal level. If I had grown up with that as a teenager, would I have found it meaningful? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just yeah. happened to kind of like, you know, engage with it at a time in my life when I really needed something. And now I see why people find rituals valuable. When I really started catching on to this idea, we so that that group that I was meeting with for the Holocaust, we were talking about, you know, what does it mean to be created and for things to be created? And again, getting back to the idea of food, like, you know, I pick up this strawberry and I know that not only was this strawberry created just like I'm created, but it was created for me. But you're the one who's eating it. Who's to say that it wasn't created just for you? Yeah. And um, I picked... I had blueberry bushes in my front yard at the time and they had just gotten ripe and I picked a ripe blueberry and it tasted so, I mean, man, homegrown blueberries <laughs> fresh off the bush are just so good. And I had this feeling of like, this blueberry was created for me. And, you know, wow, that's just yeah. amazing. It's so profound because she is taking so much energy and healing from those practices. That's how I felt. I don't know what you felt as somebody who doesn't practice Islam listening to Heather. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that. Um, I guess I would be curious, though, because I wonder if it's because you grew up in Islam and I feel like you were taught very specific, you know, principles, very specific rituals, et cetera, et cetera, or just ideas, you know? Do you, my question is like, now that you are Sadia, who is, you know, you've been pra practicing for decades and decades now, have you stepped outside of the way that you were taught Islam? Or do you feel like you kind of stayed in that lane? In some ways, yes. The way I approach my religion is less ritualistic and more um, focused on different aspects of humility and basic humanity, empathy, tolerance through religious lens. So mm. I don't focus too much on rituals anymore. Um, as a kid, obviously, I was taught to follow certain uh, rituals. There was a lot of discussion around heaven and hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure anybody who comes from an organized religion understands the disproportionate focus on punishment Right. And what's going to happen if you don't practice your religion a certain way? So as I've grown older, I've just, you know, grown out of it completely. But in terms of understanding my religion, I still think I don't. And I have not even made an effort to. 
which is sad. Uh, I mean, just having this conversation with you <laughs> is making me rethink how I practice it. Mm. I think the biggest thing that I took away from this was how powerful a ritual can be for maintaining your mental health. Mm. And both Heather and Hanan actually mentioned the role that prayer has in their lives in a very ritualistic sense. And there was actually quite a bit of overlap in what they were saying. And I feel like as humans, we really take for granted the impact that repetition can have in our lives. You know, there's something yeah. so helpful and useful about having that routine. And of course, that would translate in a spiritual sense. We have like five prayers a day. And one of them is very special. This is the dawn prayer, the Fajr prayer before sunset. Uh, sunrise, sorry, before sunrise. So at this time, all people are asleep and you have to wake up at like 4 a.m. and go through washing yourself and then start praying. So at this moment, when you are alone, completely alone, most of the people are asleep and you are praying. And after you finish your prayer, the, the, the Muslim prayer, you talk to God. You tell him whatever is giving you pain and ask him for help and this talking and whispering between myself and God gave me eventually comfort. I speak with him very openly and this helped me. So I found this help, this prayer, special prayer um, at the dawn time very helpful to me and until now I try never to um, not to skip this prayer and to usually uh, keep these moments of whispering, not skipping them. After I finish my Muslim prayer, I try to whisper to God, asking him for his support and whatever good for me or for my children. And this gives me deeper faith. Whenever I have a problem or something come up, I say, okay, this is going to end up well, even if it looks bad, but if I have more patience, maybe it ends up well. And this helps me to have more patience in dealing with family problems or life problems. I loved how Hanan kept saying, whispering to God when she was talking about having a conversation with God. I just love that imagery. It's so intimate. It's so tender. And I feel like those types of emotions aren't always associated with being spiritual or mm. having a relationship with God. But I don't know. I just feel like it's very accurate. Um, yeah. What about you, Sadia? What do your conversations with God look like? I mean, again, I think it has evolved over time. As a kid, my relationship with God was like very transactional, right? So for instance, Allah, I'll pray five times a day if you give me a toy or get <laughs> me a toy through my parents, of course. Um, now, as I said earlier, it's more about tolerance, empathy, and basic humanity, because I'm also trying to balance my identity as an intersectional feminist, mm. as a person of color, as a human rights activist, and how my religion plays a role in creating a more just and equitable society. Because right. the way I approach Islam is, I see it through egalitarian lens. Mm -hmm. I see it's a very egalitarian religion. Those are some of the components that I have accepted and I practice more than anything else. Definitely. So Sarah, at this point, what did you feel like you were learning about Islam? 
I come from a Christian background. I come from a family of Methodist pastors. Every man in my family is a pastor. Ah. So I feel very well, well versed in Christianity specifically. Um, I had a basic understanding of Islam. I've actually really studied Sufism, which is generally known as Islamic mysticism, but Islam in itself at its core, I didn't know that much about. Ah. But I think the biggest thing that really stood out to me was how intimate Islam is, kind of like what I was saying earlier. I just feel like the relationship that is formed with God feels very intimate and it feels very personal. And I feel like that is really reflected throughout the practices like Salah, which is what Heather was mentioning earlier. Um, but I just feel like the fact that, you know, both Heather and Hanan talked about how prayer can happen at a time when the rest of the world is still asleep. Mm. And there's something so beautiful about waking up at dawn to do that and to have that conversation with, you know, the source of all creation. Um, I don't know. It's very raw and very real. And I really like that aspect of it. You're absolutely right about how prayer is such an intimate connection with God when it comes to the religion itself. But if I could ask Hanan and Heather this question, how do they stay focused? Right? <laughs> because when I am praying, I am thinking about my podcasts. I am thinking about my kids' school. I am thinking about what next thing I have to do. So how do I disconnect with the rest of the world. And I'm sure it's true for any spiritual practice. You literally have to disconnect. Do you do that? Like whatever you do in your spiritual practices, how do you disconnect? Yeah, well, I feel like that just comes back to what you were saying earlier about how components of spirituality are for everyone. And I feel like in this situation that you're bringing up right now, mindfulness is a huge part of that. Mm. Um, I meditate every morning. I started doing it when corona hit because ah. I just I knew that I had to really invest in my own mental health and when I first started meditating it was really hard for me to turn you know that monkey mind off and I thought that the point of meditation was to have no thoughts just like be right. a complete blank state but that's not true it's actually just about observing those thoughts ah. and like understanding that like okay, well, this is a thought that I'm having, but not really attaching yourself to it or letting it take over you. Um, so when I'm meditating, I actually like have a ritual now in the morning. It's, I like to say it's a conversation that I'm having with God, but I always start by meditating. Uh -huh. And then I just tune in to, I listen to the birds, I listen to the wind, I listen to... I love it. Yeah, and I just like really try to just listen to everything, including my own thoughts if they're there. Um, but it's more like, okay, here's a thought. I let it go. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As you probably already know by now, we talk a lot about mental health on this podcast and the importance of taking the time to take care of yourself. In fact, we've dedicated an entire season to it. And there are so many different ways to do that, whether it's meditation or getting a massage. But let's be honest, ice cream can only go so far and sometimes what you really need is to connect with someone. On previous, I've been open about the fact that therapy has helped me a lot when it comes to managing my mental health. If you've been struggling with stress, anxiety, or if you just want to learn effective preventative tools, BetterHelp might be for you. 
BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's convenient, affordable and you can start with your therapist in under 48 hours of signing up. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about and take the leap. For immigrantly listeners, BetterHelp is giving 10%, yes, 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash immigrantly. That's betterhelp.com slash immigrantly. Thank you again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. So Sarah, I'm really curious to hear how you came up with these questions because just for listeners, I wanted you to have conversations with Heather and Hanan because you're someone who doesn't practice Islam. So I wanted us to approach those questions through curious lens, right? right? And you did such a tremendous job of it. Like as I was listening to your conversation with them, like I was tearing up. <laughs> so how did you come up with those questions? Um, well, I think it's because first off, I am really spiritual. I don't subscribe to any religion, hmm. but I guess I just thought about what spirituality can mean in tangible ways because I feel like it can often come across as inaccessible or woo-woo or whatever. <laughs> but um like what we're talking about and I what I really feel like is the point of this episode is to show that it doesn't have to be inaccessible and that it manifests in tangible ways in everyday huh. life. But yeah, I really feel like it's about forming a toolkit to live a life that embodies what it means to be, you know, divine or a practice saying whatever or like a follower of God or whatever, whatever. And in my opinion, I think that means showing up as love and trusting that things are all going to be okay. And just in general, like living a good life, you know, <laughs> um, I think God wants us to be happy. <laughs> and I feel like embodying that energy of God too, which again is like love, support, compassion, all of those things. And it's actually what Heather said too, when she was talking about how to her, you know, God is compassionate and all loving. But you can't give that if your cup is empty. If your mental health is at zero, huh. how are you supposed to embody that to someone else? Um, so, yeah, I feel like in order to really embody, you know, this godlike energy, you have to be taking care of your mental health. And that's really where that relationship is formed. Absolutely. Mental health is huge. I go to therapy myself. I've talked about this unapologetically so many times now. and. It is extremely important for me alongside my relationship to God. Both of those play huge roles in keeping me grounded, basically sane right? <laughs> and emotionally healthy. Actually, I have been uh, through a lot of uh, situations where I needed um, psychological help. And I try to seek this psychological help like, going through resources online. For example, my mother, my father, and some few family members had cancer. And I had very difficult times and dealing with this 
problem and because I took care of my mother and my father and my brothers and sisters helped me in this but still we had a lot of psychological problem of this because this like when you have a dear one or a beloved man who has or who had cancer um, family members are very strongly affected by that whether you feel it or you don't right and um, you have here in USA a lot of programs programs that support family members not the patient himself but the family of the patient sadly we, we didn't have this in Egypt and we had to deal with that on our own so either you I, I, I try to look for some resources to ease my pain and my suffering um, dealing with this kind of problems and actually what gave me comfort is praying and give a lot of prayers and trusting God. So not all mental problems can be uh, solved by prayer. Of course, prayer is a part of it, is a part of the solution, but not all the part. It's like when you practice yoga, a lot of people, uh, even people with cancer, they, they practice yoga and this helps them a lot. So it's like when you pray, it's like practicing a kind of a yoga. So you try to forget about all your problems, try to connect with God with a bigger reason, with a bigger uh, goal. So Sarah, I feel like this is such a good segue into our professional opinion. And before I introduce Jabir, we had some lesson in humility and tolerance getting Jabber to be on our show, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> oh, yes. We love Jabber. He had some amazing answers and I'm really excited for our listeners to listen uh, to what he has to say. But yeah, <laughs> it was like a little bit of a back and forth trying to get his audio. Um, but it all worked out in the end and he sent us some great answers. And yeah, he's a licensed therapist at the Khalil Center, which is actually a psychological and spiritual mm-hmm community wellness center and it's really cool and he's like the perfect resource because that center is advancing psychological practices through islamic principles so we just asked him to answer a few questions on the intersections of psychological practices and islamic principles there is an concept or perception of mental health amongst muslim americans In the last five years or so, there's been a tremendous increase in education, awareness, both on social media, but in terms of television, cinema, music, that discuss the roles of of mental health and its significance. And a lot of American Muslims are in touch with their faith and their cultures and re-examining and re-exploring a lot of that. And for that reason, uh, and a resurrection of the awareness of mental health and its role in Islam for American Muslims um, has certainly been uh, resurrected, I suppose. Um, And what I mean by that is that the idea or the concept that is this actually a part of the faith or not has been awakened in the hearts and minds of many Muslim Americans when they started re-examining some of their texts, their religious documents, um, the concepts and the ethos within the faith. They very much find that this is present in their faith. And for that reason, this concept looms over every uh, sort of most American Muslims that mental health is absolutely a part of their faith. And it's a concept which is uh, goes part and parcel 
with their spirituality. The principles of Islamic psychology and Islamic spirituality overlap tremendously. And I think that there is a lot of evidence to show that modern psychological practice has a lot in line with traditional Islamic spirituality and the teachings of that uh, concept and that theology. Uh, sort of what we know today in modern psychology, we have Islamic traditional scholars from nearly 1100 years ago discussing in, in a plethora of detail. One uh, very famous example is Abu Zayd Balkhi, who wrote the famous text, Sustenance of the Soul, wherein he accounts in extreme detail the symptoms of what we know as modern-day OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. If you were to do a side-by-side -side comparison of how you know Abu Zayd Balkhi 1100 years ago describes OCD and your DSM today, you'd be absolutely surprised at the overlap. And this is, of course, just one example of that overlap uh, where we have concepts such as OCD that are being discussed by modern psychologists and they provide you know, a description of the mental illness and its origins, the habits, what, what, what constitutes obsessive compulsive. And then at the same time, you have an Islamic theological side or a spiritual side that also discusses, for example, obsessions rooting from satanic whisperings, or for example, a natural inclination from one's own self due to an imbalance in thoughts or anxious thoughts that a person does not know whether they've completed a task or not. And so they obsess over it, sort of the origins of that coming from an untamed inner sense of self being unable to control one's passions and desires. And therefore, it runs amok and your thoughts kind of continue to overwhelm a person, ultimately leading to the sort of um, somaticization of their thoughts into what we know as obsessive compulsive disorder. I think understanding mental health and spiritual wellness, they can be separate, right? Not every mental illness is a spiritual ailment. I think recognizing that and understanding that and being able to identify that, it takes an immense amount of skill and training. It's not everyone's cup of tea, and it's certainly not something which is open for any clinician or any religious figure to say, well, I can do this task. So now we are going to end this. But before that, I want to thank Sarah for such an incredible interview with Heather and Hanan. It was definitely catharsis for me as someone who practices Islam. I learned a lot and I am probably going to revisit some of my practices and I, how I approach spirituality, mindfulness and my own religion. And I am so glad I was able to do this with Sarah. So, yeah, it was just such a fun journey. Yeah, no, I definitely really enjoyed making this episode. I always enjoy, you know, talking to people who practice organized religion because I feel like there's a very specific cultural perception of organized religion ah. that I don't think always holds true. That's true. I think it's seen as very monolithic. And I feel like if there's anything that this conversation has shown us is that religion is anything but. It's very expansive. It's very vast. It's like the ocean, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I really hope everyone enjoyed listening to this episode and tune in for some more great episodes down the line. Now we're going to end the episode on more of an inspirational note, which is a statement from Heather about 
Really the importance of narratives, because that's really what a crucial component of mental health is, right? It's about the narratives that we're creating, about what it means to live and be alive and be a human. And she just had such a profound statement on narratives, I just knew I had to include it. I'm really interested, this is a scholar nerd moment here, I'm really interested in narratives. I um, just, for the last two years, I was writing a historical novel based on the life of my grandmother, who had a really difficult life. And um, the struggles that she went through really impacted my mom and then in turn really impacted me. And so um, I learned a lot through that process and I really, you know, boy, again, see the value of narrative and constructing stories and reframing things to see things in a new light. I mean, I completely believe that narratives can be viewed in different ways and assigned new meanings. I mean, it's like a a spiral. It's not a line. Like, you know, (laughs) things that have happened in my life, I keep circling back to them and seeing them in new ways sometimes. So I... I think it's really important to live in reality and assign meanings to things, but also to be open to changes in how you understand them and what they mean. 